All right, Chris, so if you had one minute to give an artist the best music marketing advice you could possibly give them, what would you say clock is ticking? Oh, wow. Okay, so starting and assuming the song is awesome, that you need to shout it from the rooftops. I'm talking social media, email, friends, text messages, and not just once, but multiple times. I'm literally in the middle of a Kickstarter and I've already sent multiple emails. I've posted about this thing. I don't know how many times, but I know when I stop posting, that's when I stop not getting purchases. Like literally, I can I, I feel the pain like that, like, oh, I've posted about this or I feel like, oh, I've posted too much. No, 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 no. You got to post again and you got to be annoying for your career, but you've yeah. got to do it in creative ways. Um, so like you got to switch it up. You can't just say buy my stuff, buy my stuff. You got to tell stories as they say, story stories, um, tell or facts or no stories sell facts, tell, and you want to tell stories about your music. Is that under a minute? Yeah, it was or a minute and one, but close enough. That's awesome. All right. So basically <laughs> never stop pushing. And I actually had a, a pre-written question that I was going to ask you at some point on here that I think I'll just bring mm. up now. Um, you have, well, actually everyone is okay with music marketing or sorry, everyone is okay with marketing when it comes to businesses, but a lot mm. of artists get a little cringed out when you start telling them they need to market their music. Most say things like music should sell itself. And yeah, I don't want to like mu musicians shouldn't have to invest money to market their music. Um, mm. what would you say to those people? Yeah. Well, there's a quote by an awesome band, uh, and uh, people can guess, but they, they, they say, you can't buy me love. <laughs> and it's the same thing that you can't buy me fans. You can't buy fans. But what we do is, is we buy impressions. You know, we, we buy advertising and we put our music in front of people and we, 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 we make make the listen experience happening faster. It's kind of like we force feed them to eat. We force them to eat it. But then it's the fans job to decide whether they like it or not and it depends on how good the cook was i'm kind of <laughs> using a funny recipe example here but like if the song is good then that's what's gonna win over the hearts because that's what wins over me man when i hear a dope song or a lyric like i've been listening to this guy jelly roll lately and his music has just been like boom it's been hitting me and so i'm listening yeah. to it again and again and again but if his label or he didn't market and post you know, I never would have found out about. And yeah. and so uh, I, I'm like a 100% believer. Like, yeah, you can't buy a fan base, but you can sure buy advertising and impressions to get your music out there and make that thing happen faster. Because, you know, otherwise I'm, I'm not leaving this thing to chance. I didn't, I didn't spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on my songs or my album to just leave it to chance, you know? Yeah. It's the same thing that like Apple does when they launch a new iPhone. Like even though everyone in the world knows about mm. Apple, they still spend like hundreds of millions of dollars marketing that damn thing, you know. <laughs> mm. And yeah, like Bill, Billie Eilish and Justin Bieber, they pay for marketing. I mean, the type of marketing they pay for, it's probably not the same thing that you and I pay for. Like they're getting on like Jimmy Kimmel and stuff mm -hmm. like that, and running billboard ads, like literally in Times Square, billboard ads, you know, and um. But they don't leave it to chance. No, no. And that and like how much does a publicist cost? Like, you know, I, I've hired publicists where it was a retainer of two to two thousand to twenty five hundred a month, which is pretty low. 
but I, I know um, one uh, guy I was working with, he was telling me he, he hired a pretty big publicist for this band and it was like at least 10 grand a month. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure these Bieber publicists or Billie Eilish, you're, you're probably looking at 20 K or more, you know, but yeah. if they can create those opportunities to be in front of those eyeballs, because that's really all it is. And that's on a massive scale. And, you know, leading to what that first thing, that first question you said to me, the reason why I keep promoting and keep posting and sending out multiple emails, like we just made it public yesterday for my Kickstarter. And um, I sent, I think, two or three emails the first day. And I'll probably send, sometimes I'll email twice a day. I'm, I'll, I'll at least email once a day. Yeah. But I know when that campaign ends, I'm probably going to send three to four emails because I know I, I, I just from experience, I realize I, I've got to remind people, people are busy, man. Like, yeah. like people are just busy and, and we got to, we got to remind them and push through the noise. And, and what's funny is, is I get encouraged when I get in a sale. Right. And so that makes me want to post more and it's frustrating. And I'm sure you felt this too with, with what we do when we're trying to help artists and musicians and get out there and we, we promote something and nobody buys right away, but then someone buys like, Oh, okay. I got to promote more. But I encourage all these artists that are listening, when you're promoting and you feel like nothing is happening, don't give up. That's called the messy middle. And and I feel it all the time. And I'm about to feel it because the first week is always exciting. But it's yeah. the second and third week of a campaign where it's like, I literally want to punch myself in the <laughs> eye with like a, with a, a poker. You know what I mean? Because it's just, it's, it's it's just pushing through, right? And so we all feel it, but you gotta you gotta feel the the pain and the and the you know the crickets and and yeah. and and push through that, you know. Yeah, it's it's always a challenge to promote anything, you know, like no matter what you're working with. I mean, like it, it, in some ways, things get easier as you gain your fan base and anything, not not just music, whether it's like a, a course business or whatever, but. Pretty much anything new has its own own challenges. Where like you, you, it's a new song and it's a new it's a new style for you. So you're trying to figure out who's going to like it more, who's going to like it less, or whether it's like an actual product, like a course or something, and you're figuring out like what the messaging is like. But no matter yeah. what it is, like you're right that people are they generally have to be reminded a few times, even when you have their email address. You know, it's it's yeah. you often you'll send out an email and, and usually open rates will be like. 30% or something, you know, mm -hmm. a reasonably good email list. So it's like if you send out that email three times, everyone in general will, will see it. And I, I'm sure you can do the same thing in active campaign as I do in drip. Every time I send out an email, my software will automatically send that email two days later to everyone that didn't open the first one. Oh, cool. Yeah. You can definitely see who opened it, who clicked on it. And and that's the assumption a lot of artists make is that just because you sent it, you assume they opened it and you assume because they opened it that they clicked on it. But you cannot assume that. And the same thing with posting on social media. Like I have thousands of, of followers. Uh, you know, I don't know what we got right now, like 40,000. Um, and just for the sake of this interview, I'd rather have 40,000 emails than 100,000. Uh, wait. Yeah, 40,000 emails than 100,000 uh, followers. You know what I mean? Emails yeah. are worth more. But like, I realized that just because I posted it, not everybody saw it. They scrolled right past it. They just, they maybe, and they stopped for a couple of seconds. But 
did I post something eye-catchy enough or, you know, cool enough to make them stop and then click on my profile link? Did I put it to my stories and, and try these different angles and stuff like that? And um, yeah, it's just like, like, and you can't keep doing the same thing over and over either. Like yeah. you got to switch it up for sure or else, you know, you're, or you are just going to annoy people. But, but when, like, I think with art, man, like there's just so many different cool ways to post and promote. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even on like the, you've probably seen this type of content people make on TikTok where they're, they're just like performing their song and they put like some text on it. And mm -hmm. that usually what people do is they'll, they'll like lip sync the song, let's say in a park. They'll lip sync the whole song on like a rooftop. They'll lip sync the whole song at the beach. And then they'll they'll cut each of those different lip sync performances into like thir different 30 second clips. So each performance gives you like four, four or so snippets. And then mm -hmm. each one of those, they'll put different text captions over the video. Like check out this song if you just went through a breakup. Check out, you know, this is the song for you if you're battling with depression. This is the song for you if you can't get out of bed today. I love that. And so it's like one song, and even just that boring, boring lip sync style that's been done a million times before, you can get like 50 posts, <laughs> you know? Yep. Yep. And if every time you post, it hits up like 8% of your audience, which I think is the standard for Instagram, um, like 8 to 10%, uh, it's like if you post 10 times, you might hit everyone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're doing retargeting campaigns right now. And uh, you, I know you're the guru on that. And um, I've been creating the audiences where anyone who's interacted with my Facebook or Instagram campaign, I'm running an ad to retarget them. But I also, I don't know if I forgot or they just added it again, where you can finally target all your followers on Facebook yeah. and Instagram. I just saw that in there again. So I made sure I created that audience so I didn't miss anyone. Yeah, they never had the Instagram one until recently. And mm. some people watching this still might not have it. Some like, mm. you know, Facebook's, I don't know if you have access to different accounts, but you, you might have noticed that like you'll go in one account and you'll be missing some features and you go in the other account, and you have extra features. Right, right. For it's, sure. It's just how they do it. It's frustrating. It's rolling it out. Yeah. It makes teaching it super hard because it's like, yeah, oh, I don't have this feature. And it's like, oh, great. Facebook doing another beta test or whatever. But yeah, um, yeah, that is the thing that a lot of people can do like. You can make an audience of your Facebook followers, an audience of your Instagram followers, and either purposely exclude them so you're not, like, hitting them up with your retargeting ads or, like, purposefully targeting them to make sure they're seeing something. Yeah. Yeah, like, what I should be doing um, for this Kickstarter, I can't because I'm using my mom's account, but I'll, I should be uploading my list of everyone who's bought and exclude them so I don't keep advertising to them, right? Um, yeah. I probably could exclude, I can't exclude the thank you page though. So I could do it that way. Um, just upload, just, uh, create a custom audience of people who had landed on the next page, I guess, and make sure it doesn't get shown to anyone, uh, yeah. on that, that way I'm saving, saving some ad budget. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so one thing I wanted to ask about, so you have like a million monthly listeners on Spotify, which, you know, by the way, congrats. That's awesome. Thanks, man. <laughs> that's, that's huge. Um, I was wondering, and I'm sure everyone else watch, watching is wondering, um, how did you build that? And what I mean is, was that mostly organic just through every, like all, all the music you've been releasing and through the history of your music career? 
Was it mostly ads? Was it mostly playlisting? I know you were signed to a few labels over the years. Um, what, what built that up? Yeah, no, a great question, man. And I'm literally pulling up my, my history right now um, because some people, people are right now are coming into the conversation, you know, halfway through the movie, you know what I mean? And, um, I don't even know if I'm, have you ever even shared a screen in on an interview before? No, you can't. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Uh, uh, I, point, I could, I could turn it on, but it'll, it'll probably break the flow. It'll, it'll break something. <laughs> so we don't want to do that. But the point is I'm looking at my history and I can see like 2015 where I was getting like you know, 16,000 streams a day. And I left the label in 2014. And even my A&R said to me, Chris, don't re-sign with us. You do, you, you do more for your marketing than we do for you. Like he literally said that to me. So I left them in 2014. And so 2015, I had six, I was getting 16,000 16, streams a day. Um, I guess in 2022, my highest stream count in one day was like over 162,000 streams in one day, um, which is, is pretty monumental. And as I'm looking at this, it was pretty like this for a while. And then eventually it just started going. And then there was this, woof, right? Yeah. And that was in 2021, uh, 2020 it was when we started. Actually, it was, yeah, it was about 2020 to 2021. We started really uh, growing. And there's a lot of different things I do for my music. Um, I wasn't touring. Actually, that's when I stopped touring, which I miss so much. But we did some radio, some active rock. And so that helped with like Sirius XM. Um, and what's so powerful about the Sirius XM station is that when you're played, you're played all across the U.S., all across Canada and, and, and Mexico, as opposed to one regular radio station. You're just played in that city, let alone part of that state right so the reach of a serious xm station is, is crazy and that was octane because oh, we get played on a lot of metal so that helped a little bit we had some success there definitely i've always been running facebook and instagram ads to constantly grow we were selling you know 40 to 60 cds a day um, with facebook and instagram ads the Jeez. big ones the big one specifically on spotify though was um collaborations and getting other artists to feature on the songs that's helped and then um even most recently i got um and this was probably almost a year ago spotify discovery mode i was asked to be a wow. part of the beta testing and so that probably gave me an extra hundred and something thousand monthly listeners that spotify oh. went and found for me. and um when i opted into that not only did my monthly listeners go up, but my royalties went up despite the 30% commission that they take on the initial stream. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's probably a lot of other things um, that I did, but, you know, um, there's some stuff we could probably chat about in there. But um, yeah, there's some, can, some yeah. very interesting points in there. So, I mean, one, the discovery mode thing. Um, I made a video about that that recently and... Mm. A lot of people have mixed feelings about it because of the, the commission. Um, yeah, it seems to be pretty cool. Like I, 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 this is, I think today the first initial data for my first Discovery Mode campaign will be live because I opted in for April and I, I did a oh, video cool, about man. it. Someone else gave me access to their account. And I looked at like their March March stats for that and they it looked pretty good. Like it wasn't like life changing. It took their radio streams from like. I think they have 30,000 monthly listeners and they were getting about a thousand 
listeners per month from radio and it took them mm-hmm. to like three so like it tripled okay. the radio portion which was like a you know 10 percent bump monthly listeners yeah and it sounds like for yeah. you that was i mean if you have a if you have a million monthly listeners or something like a 10 percent bump is a hundred thousand so it's oh it's it's insane like when i look at my campaign right now like um and this is probably just for um just some of my songs so if i just look at april for 30 of my songs and this is a smaller because i have to use it through DistroKid and TuneCore, and so um my smaller catalog um you know only has 30 songs in it on DistroKid, and they got yeah. me ten thousand new listeners oh, damn. okay that i never would have had before a 405 percent listener lift but when i click on to my TuneCore campaign um because um Oh, it's not going to show me in here. Is it not going to show me? Um, there is another one. Anyways, this one shows that I got 28,000 new listeners. And so yeah. that's, that, that, that's and, and it says underneath it, the total number of new listeners who have never streamed the artist. Like, that's insane marketing. Like, yeah. and, and I know they're taking their commission, but like, dang, dude, like how else am I, like, what is that going to cost on Spotify ads or Facebook or Instagram ads? <laughs> I'll yeah. pay the 30% commission. Right. Cause it's only off that first listen they get you. So if, if they come into your world and listen to a second song or even that same song again in their library, <clears> it's like, that's not commissioned. So now the, it, I, the engagement metrics in discovery mode were pretty God awful, but like it's free and Essentially, yeah. if, if only 5% of those people listen like more than that listen, then it's, it's it's worth it, you know? At least I think it is. Yeah, when I think about how much I'm listening to this one artist right now because I really like his songs, like, it's like, that's happening for my music to fans, right? And it's just like, if I can just get found and I bring the goods and 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 keep delivering songs that make them feel a certain way and win over their hearts they're going to stream all my all my stuff and obviously i have a pretty big back catalog um which definitely also helps too i've been in the game for a while and that's why i would encourage other artists like you know you got to keep building your your catalog eventually as well too that will help so you can take advantage of discovery mode um but make sure they're hits man because it's because it's funny because i'm listening to this artist right now, that guy Jelly Roll, and it's like the first six, seven, I really, really like. But then when I get down to the eighth, ninth, tenth, I'm less like, I don't really like those ones as much. You know what I mean? And so me, even as an artist, is making me think like, am I, like, am I giving people what they really want? Like, I really like these specific style songs, and so it makes me think like, well, maybe I need to write more songs like that are really hitting and give my fans what they want you know it it really made me think about that yeah yeah i mean the great marketing won't make a bad song do amazing i mean like i've had some i've pulled off some miracles you know running ads for clients and stuff where i've like in the song i'm like yeah don't really think it's that great you probably should go put this money towards like music lessons or a better producer or whatever but you know (laughs) You, yeah. you, you get paid to do a job at the end of the day. Yeah. And so and I've pulled off some miracles, like getting a song that I don't think is that great on Discover Weekly and getting tens of thousands of streams. But like mm-hmm. the music should be great or at yeah. least at least good, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. the, the better your music is, the easier of a job you're going to have marketing. And 
there's people I know that make, I would say, music way better than I make. That when they run their campaigns, every every campaign they do is like two or three times better than my campaigns. And you know, it's not all about the the quality. There's also the marketability thing. Some people mm-hmm. are great. Like every song they make is like super marketable. It fits the the niche perfectly. The visuals mm-hmm. are phenomenal. So so all those things matter greatly. Is my point. And um, yeah. like you you for your CD. Um, I've seen some of your ads for your CDs and like you have really good music videos and you mm. use clips of them or the full ones. And you know, it's not just about the song, but like you have this really cool creative that goes along with it. And that matters too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like that makes a huge difference. And what's wild is, is sometimes I will use a really old song in the ad. Um, lately I've been using a newer song, but for years I was using a song that's like, I don't know, like, 15 years old i think actually which is really making me sound old but um <laughs> what's also interesting and this i hope this encourages people that are listening like if your songs are old just because they're old to you doesn't mean they're old to other people and we had um a song my song edge of my life just blow up on youtube because this artist used it in her video and i think she's chinese but this thing just last month got like 30 million streams like on the like the total the video has 215 million views on it. That's more than my whole YouTube channel in itself. Yeah. But this song is 8 years old <laughs> and so it's breathed new life into an old song. And so and, and this song is a hit. Like it did well for me in radio back in the day and it did good, but like that tells me that this didn't get marketed enough mass. And because obviously people are resonating with this and I see it in my Shazams and I get hit up by a label in China every day trying to buy the rights to this thing and, oh, we'll help promote it. And it's like, I'm thinking to myself, you don't know how to promote. You're just trying to ride the coattails of this artist who used my song. They're the ones that actually did the marketing for this song and it happened to, to blow up. But how exciting is that to know that like, songs that are really really old if they're good like it makes me think like man i like i didn't market my music enough you know yeah yeah and, and honestly that's a market that would be really hard to market to just because china is so hard to like enter from the outside world you know just they yeah. don't have facebook they don't i don't think they have spotify i mean they have it in hong kong but you know yeah, i'm getting paid by easenet or something like that I don't oh, know, okay. but my royalties are crazy from some Chinese platform. TuneCore is the one who pays me through that stuff. It's 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 really wild. Um, yeah. I almost signed the rights over, but thank God I, <laughs> I'm not an idiot anymore, and I did a little bit more digging to make sure I'm getting paid. Yeah, I was, you know, before we topped in the call, I went and stalked you on the internet a little bit, and I found an interview you did from, like, a while back where you were signed with, was it Tooth and... Tooth and... Yeah, Tooth and Nail. Tooth and nail, and for yep. for global rights, for like a three three year contract, three album contract, something like that. And then you were like popping in Japan, so you went over to Japan on a tour. And while you were there, you signed like since your contract was expiring, you negotiated a deal with EMI Japan to handle your Japanese distribution. And then went back to Tooth and Nail and were like, you're not taking my Japan anymore. You're just doing my US. <laughs> yeah, which is something I never even thought was possible. Like to just. You know, it's like, oh, wow, you guys are making Killing My Japan. You guys didn't do a damn thing in Japan. This is essentially from the music organically or whatever. So yeah. you 
you because of that success, you're able to negotiate a, a better deal in in Japan, and then basically force this label to focus on just the U.S., which I think is brilliant. Um, yeah. <laughs> what's your opinion on the whole label thing now? Like for for the average indie artist, do you think they have a place, or for most artists, should do the indie thing? Yeah. So. When I signed, I had no leverage, right? And I was the indie artist, just like anyone else watching this. And so I got a crappy deal. And thank God it was a licensing deal. So I got all my records back. That's the only way I'm able to still make the money I make off of my music. Um, but I had no leverage. So I didn't get an advance or anything like that. It wasn't until we had success in Japan. And then when I renegotiated with them, which they were ticked, man, I really ticked them off. They're like, we don't actually want, they only wanted to do a deal with me in Japan. Yeah. Like, they didn't even want to do a deal with me in the US. But anyways, I turned in a really good record and then they did end up doing a deal in the US. And then finally we blew up in the US, took four or five records, right? Like um, three with the label. It was the fourth one that finally took off. Just so people understand like this isn't an overnight success thing, but where the label came in handy back then was obviously distribution and tapping into yeah. that Japanese market because they had the worldwide distribution. But it was the Japanese label that saw it and said, hey, we want this. Like the label even said to me, they were trying to push their other artists that they were more invested in. And but the 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 Japanese label kept on saying, no, 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 we don't want them. We, we, we want manifest. We want manifest. Right. Yeah. And so it's really wild. But like, um, when I was with them, we had like a lot of radio success uh, and some a lot of these, uh, you know, radio stations are in the pockets of labels. And so that's very important. And and, and we had a lot of radio success in, in the Christian world in uh, in the U.S. and Canada. We had some mainstream as well, too, with active rock after I was with the label. But I got a real wake up call when I decided to go indie and um, I went to radio and it was like I was the stepchild now. I used to be the poster boy. Yeah. Now I'm not with the label. Now I'm like the stepchild. And and they they I got barely any radio play. And and that's what we were really still using to sell records. Because you know, radio can still sell some records if you get, you know, a big enough, you know, play and enough stations that have that reach, right? But I got a real wake up call on that. Um, but now if I was to sign with the label, I it would really have to be. A, a fair deal where they're making the pie bigger because like yeah. i'm i'm in the i'm in the mindset that i'd rather have 50 percent of a watermelon than 100 percent of a grape you know what i mean yeah. like like if you, yeah. but a lot of the times the label doesn't do that like they'll sign an indie artist like me to a global contract but you ain't doing anything in germany you ain't doing anything in france like you don't have boots down there you don't have a canadian office yeah. you know like they don't have but they're just taking all this global rights, right? And then that's where artists need to understand, like, this is, uh, you know, you got to think global and not local. And so unless a label is really going to to do something for you, um, like, like, I'm not really into it, but I would be open again. if, Like, I would do a deal with Japan in a heartbeat, like another major <laughs> deal, you know, especially in a market where I, I can't do anything or if they have relationships with TV film. Um, like, I had a buddy... Uh, who I uh, signed with dream records. And I remember he got in uh, some pretty big film placements. He got in like Iron Man and some different trailers and stuff. And it's because of the label. So there's definitely connections and certain things that a label will bring, but I'm at the mindset, man is like, look, 
you've got everything you need with DistroKid or whoever you want to use to distribute your music and then TikTok and in social media for your marketing promotion. You just have to think and you have to come up with great songs and then great marketing. And it's like, why, why would you then want a label? Like you really <laughs> want to, you know, put your hands at the, at the whim of someone else. Like it just, yeah, I, it would be very difficult to see me get signed again. There'd have to be multiple seven figures for me to resign. Yeah, I, I know someone else who is in a similar boat as you in terms of audience size. He's, you know, he's been a full-time artist for like two decades. He's a bunch of albums. And I have to keep this super vague because he specifically told me to make sure I don't share this with anyone. So but right. so I'll keep it super vague. But um, he, he's, he was considering signing with, with the label because the label was overseas and could essentially help them secure could make touring a whole lot easier in their market they've never been able to penetrate mm. this particular country and or they could but it would be so expensive and hard for them that they, they you know if failure would like be a huge like bankruptcy issue right because it's so mm. expensive to fly everything out there get a bus figure out all the locations and they're comfortable doing nationwide tours but they were thinking of doing it like almost not solely because of that, but that was like a huge factor. Mm. And not only that, but they, they, the company has been able to get certain sinks for their artists in certain places. And um, that's something that's kind of notoriously, uh, the industry kind of gets over time further and further away from like the who you know backdoor deals, but that's still a huge mm. part of the music industry, you know, like. Yeah. Labels still sit down with Spotify in their studios and like basically get sales pitches on if they can um, what songs they should add to the editorials. Like that's still a thing, even though you can pitch directly. Yeah. There's a bunch of backdoor crap, and the sync world is very much like who you know and what companies you work yeah. with. And yeah, yeah, it really is. It's all relationships, right? And whether you want to tap and that's one reason why you would sign with the labels to get those relationships. Like they did actually, when you bring up touring, they did help me get my first booking agent. And it's kind of like you have one person that believes in you so you can get other people to believe in you and then more people and more people just to believe in you and, and leverage these contacts. Right. And uh, yeah. that's why it's so important to be cool and be nice and be friendly and easy to work with. But, but yeah, like, like relationships are everything. Right. And um, so and it is frustrating with all those backdoor deals and yeah. all the different things. But, you know, there's 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 always I always look at it. it that's not the only way. There's so yeah. many opportunities. Right. Totally. Yeah. There, there's a lot of artists that, that blow up without them now. Um, yeah. Another thing you brought up on the. Um, Spotify side. Is collaboration. Mm. And I've noticed some artists will treat collaborations almost like a, a competition thing. Like they're, they're not thinking of it this way to expose their fans to other, other artists. I mean, it's, if you and I had that mentality, we wouldn't be talking right now. Right. Like in, in several yeah. ways, you and I are like direct, you know, competitors, so to speak. Right. But it's like the reason why we do a thing like this is because like you have your own audience. I have my own audience and we don't overlap, like, if we were, like, head-to-head -head and every product we had was exactly the same, like, maybe then it wouldn't right. make sense. But, like, there's all these things that you offer that I don't. There's all these things that I offer that you don't. And we have the same goal. So it makes makes a lot of sense. And I think for music, it's, it's e like, there's even more of a justification where to, like, collaborate. Mm. So 
Um, do you have for any sure. advice for artists when it comes to collabs? Yeah, and it's just ego, right? It's ego, and I think it's fear, right? Because like, like I like I'm excited to promote all your stuff and see what you're doing, and like, and, but honestly, maybe back in the day, maybe I would have been like, oh, I'm better than him, or you know, whatever, or I've got this, and. And honestly, that was kind of my attitude as an artist growing up. And one of my biggest regrets that I didn't collaborate more like and, and I don't know if like I lost my dad to suicide when I was five years old and I and I used to struggle with a lot of fear and just different things. And so I think I've always had this thing where I had to prove them wrong and I'm, and I'm going to be successful and whatever. And I think to my detriment, I haven't worked with more people like and I like I can specifically think of like being on tour as much as I didn't want to like get drunk and do certain things in that lifestyle. Cause I was just so focused on the business and the music. I'd go back to my hotel, but I wish I had developed the relationships a little bit more and, and done co-writes on the road or like just yeah. saw, like stop seeing them as my competitors, but my collaborators, like not just for tour, but like songwriting. Cause like one of my regrets is like, I toured with this one artist, which was great. And it was in this one, this tour was happened to be in Canada but it's like they have a global fan base. Like, forget just touring with them in Canada or US or Europe, but like tap into the global thing, right? And um, I, I just like, 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 yeah, like, sure. As long as it's a fair audience size, like, again, like I'll collaborate with an artist if they have half a million monthly listeners um, on Spotify or if they have maybe 300,000 but yet they have a big Instagram or maybe they have something else and that we can leverage it. And it's just like, we're tapping into each other's audience. And yeah. what I love about it is I'm integrating myself into their business. Like now anything that they do to grow their career, I I'm going to show up in that conversation or I can show up like, especially for some of the artists where the songs that we did, where I'm in their top five or even yeah. their number one top song, right? Like, now, anything they ever do to market themselves, someone goes there, I'm literally going to get like uh, an effect from that. I'm going to get the, the splash over effect from that, which is just huge. So yeah. I'm all about it now. Yeah. Like, even if you're working with an artist that's, you know, let's say you work with someone who's literally started from scratch. Like let, Let's say a friend of yours started a project. You might collab with them just to help them out. But let's say five years down the line, they're bigger than you. You know, and all of a sudden you're kind of riding off of their successes. And um, I've, I've talked to so many artists where they're like, yeah, back in the day I toured with this band and we were both just mm. like small potatoes. No one cared about us. <laughs> and now they're like billboard sharding, international name recognition. And, you know, it's like, it's like if they did a collab, you know, 20 years oh. ago, it would, they would have, even if they didn't propel to the same heights, like maybe they would be 10% of that, you know? And they yeah. would have never given up on music or, or like, cause I've, I've talked to people like they retired and then now they're getting back into it now that they're, they're, they're older, you know, whether it's like they're, they're 40 or 60, like I've talked to several people who are like that. And, um, I think collabs are a great way to kind of hedge your bets because, you know, if you got 10 friends that make great music, you collaborate with all 10 of them, like you literally yeah. have 10 times the chance of being somewhat successful because like. You know, there's 10 of you. All it takes is one of those people, if you're all working together, to kind of take off. And, yeah. like, you'll kind of get some kind of flow to go along with them. You're both marketing the song. You know, you, uh, uh, you, you, uh, you both pitch it to the Spotify playlist, which is powerful. Um, 
you know, uh, you split the marketing budget, right? And so it allows you to maybe even spend more. Like maybe you were going to spend a $500 on a campaign. Well, now you both spend $500. Now you've got a thousand. So you've literally doubled your marketing budget. And I've literally like done this. Like this is what we, we, we do. Like, so yeah. I did a Spotify ad marquee campaign. They did one and, and we blew up the song. Right. And uh, so like, you know, what's your relationships with sync? Oh, what's your relationships with radio? Oh, you know, this person, I know this person. And there's just like, like I spend a whole day teaching on this on my Spotify challenge, but like, like mm. I love collaborations and just the, the effect from it. It's just like, um, it's, it's one of the best things. And the last thing I'll say is like, if you work with a producer or something like that, like then sometimes you, you don't have to pay anything and you, and, yeah. and you split it 50, 50. And, and that way they're, 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 they're invested and you're invested and then you can get the song for free sometimes. So there's just so yeah. many um, ways to, uh, to make things happen. For sure. And that was actually going to be my next question was you have this whole Spotify challenge thing. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Um, what is it? What is it? How does it work? And what do you cover? Because obviously, like, you do very well on Spotify. You have a million freaking monthly listeners. Um, yeah. And I think your tagline is the, the 10x your fan base Spotify challenge five day. I forget what the exact verbiage is, but how yeah. does it work? Yeah. So I, I love Spotify, right? I know people hate on it. And I'm all about focus, right? Follow one course until successful. And um, and so we, we, we made created this challenge where for five days, I'm, I'm just training all on how to grow Spotify. One day is obviously collaborations. There's another day where I really teach about playlists, editorial playlists and getting on that. We talk about Spotify ads another day. Every single day I focus a little bit on mindset because I really believe that, you know, it's not just about tactics. Like you got to know your why you got to know your purpose, you know, and if you're always comparing yourself or you don't got your mindset, right, we can give you all the tactics of in the world, but for those times when you feel discouraged and you're not plugged into your why, you're, you're, you're going to give up. But for five days, I teach on that. When people get a VIP ticket, they can, uh, there's a Q&A before it starts. And so I do a Q&A like this over Zoom um, for those that, that get that and just answer questions for an hour. And then we start the training. So it's two mm. hours, the whole thing. If you get a VIP ticket, if you get the regular general edition, it's just one hour. But if you get VIP, it's an hour of Q&A and then the, the training. And it's just oh, that's, it's that's so times five. So it's like two hours yeah. a day for five days. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Damn, so it's like 10, 10 hours with Chris. <laughs> that's yeah, it. yeah. That's yeah, and there's homework awesome. every day. I give you homework. You better get it done because I'm your coach and I like to kick your butt in love, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. That's a neat way to do it because, um, you know, you have courses too and I have courses. And one of the biggest problems with as a course creator is trying to incentivize people to actually take the mm -hmm. damn course that they mm -hmm. paid for. Because like mm -hmm. the, the there's a statistic that 80% of people that buy courses never finish them. And so like... Yeah. I make it my mission to, to try to have like in, make my number like as many people as possible are taking the thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I think these challenges are one way to kind of combat that because it's like you're doing this day by day thing where it's and also it's on Zoom. So there's a little more accountability because like if someone doesn't do their homework, they might not be yeah. able to ask you that question that they just had an hour of time to sit and pick your brain about. And so, yeah. And we take down the replay. We take down the replay after 24 hours. Like we leave up the replay for 24, 48 hours sometimes. But then, 
I take it down. And it's not to be mean, but it's because it's not an online course. They don't need another online course that they're not watching or ebook. Um, so it's just like, hey, show up, you know, show up and let's 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 get to work and let's 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 move something forward, you know. And I might shorten it eventually. I'm not sure if we're always, right now we're doing five days, but I, I might consolidate it to to three. And, and yeah. but right now, um, the the next one we're gonna do five days, which which will be great. You could just do the, uh, the the instead of calling it the five day Spotify challenge or the ten hour challenge, it's just one sitting, just ten hours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bring a bring a pillow. Bring a you know have your washroom close by. No no bathroom yeah. breaks. You're locked in. <laughs> well, when's the uh, when's the next session happening? Uh, the next one is May first. Cool. Um, is when we're starting. So yeah, next month, May first to the fifth. So Monday, May 1st is when we spark off. So whenever this video goes live, well, there'll yeah, be man. a link in the description for everyone to check it out. But Awesome. Uh, yeah, so Spotify, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about CDs because you've mm-hmm. sold a crap ton. And yes. I think I saw a number, again, when I was stalking you on the internet, that you sold 300,000 albums. But I don't think those are all CDs. Or have you sold 300,000 CDs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we sold we sold over three hundred thousand albums, like CDs, um, maybe even more over my total career. Um, between thirty to thirty-five thousand with Facebook and Instagram ads. Um, and so, you know, it's funny. I get people saying, "Do people still buy CDs? Do people still buy USB keys?" I'm like, "Dude, people still buy vinyl, bro." You know, yeah. you know, you can put together a good enough offer. People will buy stuff. I just saw. Big artist named NF. He just did an in-store signing and probably sold tens of thousands of CDs the first week. You know, people still yeah. want a souvenir. You know. Yeah, I, I think that's what a lot of artists don't get. I did a I, I did a free plus shipping and handling thing last year where I, I sold like eight hundred mm. or so with the free plus shipping and handling funnel. Awesome. And I made a few awesome. videos on it, and some you know, most people are like, "Oh, cool," but hey, there's always some people who are like, "CDs are dead. This is stupid," or whatever. You know, and. Yeah, they they don't or some people on the contrary like are like why would you do this with CDs? Why wouldn't you do vinyl? And mm. CD sales and vinyl sales are like at least in the last year they were equal, which is insane. But that's why vinyl's been taking off. But they're still equal. Wow. And wow. CDs cost like a buck. Vinyls cost you have to do like a two thousand dollar order. It takes like three months to get them. They're expensive to ship. When I was figuring out how to do the free plus shipping and thing, I hacked Chris's funnel, so I knew he was doing it. So I went to his yeah. page and I went through his funnel so I could see how he, what upsells he does, how he ships his package, what he delivers in his order. And I, I didn't only do it with him. I did it with another artist. I think I did it with three people, three people total just to mm. get ideas for funnels. And, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's CD still sell is what I'm trying to say. And I don't think it necessarily, there's probably some differences in the genre, but I think for me, I was probably in a harder genre to do it, being being like electronic pop. Mm. I think if you're doing like hip hop, you probably would want to do the USB key thing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But and then like rock, you're kind of in this like hip hop rock hybrid Linkin Park thing. So for you, yeah. I think CDs would probably be even better. But yeah, I did it with the rock. Um, I did it with a Christian record, and I used my song "Pray." Because it all came down to like, what was the messaging and what's the song that resonates in the ad, right? Because um, the offer is pretty similar. Um, I did yeah. do it with a remix record, actually, an EDM. And I targeted like uh, Steve Aoki and some other EDM. And that one actually did okay. 
Um, yeah. But we did such a limited run on those. Those sold out really quickly. But like, it's a great fan acquisition model because it's not just, you know, like it's profitable and you're getting buyer email addresses. My only thing is, is, was, is you know, I got to be careful not to let my fans that like support my Kickstarters or whatever, not that they care, but I just don't want to devalue it either. That's, that's the only yeah. thing you, I, I found I, lately I've got to be careful of. And because I'm not touring, it's just like, I got to make sure that I can sell out because I don't like getting carrying stock and you need to have that scarcity. And, you know, I find sometimes it's easy to get, have products lingering around and I, I, I want to avoid that at all costs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point that, that I've been kind of wrestling with when I launch my next CD or next album. I'm probably going to do a free plus, free plus shipping and handling for it too. But for all the people that already bought the last one, it's like in a perfect world, I, I would like to sell it for full price. <laughs> but it was this weird mm-hmm. line of like, I, I want the ads to pull people in. And so, but it's, I don't want to feel, make the, the current customers or fans feel like they're being gypped. And so it, it's almost like for the new album, I might do it where like, at first, it's like full price. And then I keep running free plus shipping and handling on the old album. And then there's an upsell for the new album kind of thing. Right, it's, right. It's, it's this weird thing where like if, if, if I bought, let's say I, I'm a huge Manifest fan and I buy your your um, free plus shipping CD. And then I get an email from you a year later that's like, oh, this new CD is coming out. got to get it. And I pay like 30 bucks to get the CD and maybe a vinyl. Yeah. And all of a sudden I see an ad by Manifest that's like, get this CD for free. I'm going to be like, Fuck you, Chris. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously, and and that's that's what I, my my concern was, and so that's why I, I'm <clears throat> I'm currently not running any ads to the free plus shipping, and it's just like, you know, <clears throat> just make the offer better because I think, hmm. obviously, we know there's so many different ways to market your your music, and people are willing to pay full pop, man, like they just are. Um, but you know, I'd be lying if I said that the free plus shipping didn't help me get my music out to so many more people. And when we were really scaling, when we were spending like four or 500 bucks a day, when we were really like pushing it, the effect it had on, you know, iTunes, Apple music, Spotify, like everything got a lift when we were marketing at that level. Like all of a sudden you're getting, you know, all these impressions, people are Googling, they're looking and they're, they're checking you out. So you're really getting a, a growth effect really, you know? Yeah, that's something I didn't even try to measure, but I have to imagine, you know, and I'm not talking huge numbers. It was like 500 people that that bought those 800 CDs, but I have to imagine that a decent chunk of them, even though they bought a CD, probably actually listened to music on a streaming platform, you know? Mm-hmm. Like some mm-hmm. of them probably are actual people who use CDs, but a, a lot of people I noticed, like they just wanted something like physical and signed to add to their, like some people collect CDs yeah. from art music they like and, and they like just having something or, or they play that in the car but then in certain other places they stream you know mm-hmm. and um, I have to imagine that there was Lyft everywhere because I, I was getting emails from these people DMs from these people they were sending me screenshots when they got the package I sent them and oh cool man you know it's I I bet if I didn't have like stuff already happening in Spotify I would have noticed that Lyft yeah 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 no, totally, man. And and that's the thing, just measuring it and checking it out and 
seeing seeing what's going on and that's what's so important that artists need to be doing is like looking at your analytics like like i always say like write down your numbers and look at where things are at yeah. the beginning the middle and the end of can at the campaign did you grow did this have an effect right you know uh there's a story of one buddy's like yeah i got on tv or whatever yeah or whatever and it's like okay did <laughs> anything get sold like it's like okay wow you got an ego lift like that's yeah. why I say to some artists like, okay, you made a music video. That's not marketing. You know, it's an asset, but it doesn't become marketing until you actually promote it. <laughs> right. And, it, yeah. and it's like getting away from the feel good things and, and getting focused on things that actually move the needle, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And you have books too, right? Like not just as a marketer. But you have books as like a music artist, I think, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the first book, I don't know where it is right now, but I, uh, the first book I wrote is called Fighter, Five Keys to Conquering Fear and Reaching Your Dreams. And uh, I just love books, right? Like when I was on tour, I always had a book because there's always always waiting time, whether in the plane, the train, the van, the tour bus, whatever it was. And so I was always reading and learning. And I thought, you know what? You know, we've had some success now and I want to kind of share my story and what God had done in my life and how I overcame my fears and just how I found success in the music industry. So I literally share how I went from five days a week working to four. I asked my boss for Fridays off so I could play more shows. Then I <laughs> had the guts to ask him for another day. And I thought I was going to get fired, but they kept me on salary, if you can believe it. Wow. And then I got signed and quit. And I went $30,000 plus into debt and, um, you know, was just ready to give up. And then, you know, Japan happened, some other things happened, and I was able to keep doing music. But um, I share that whole story. And I didn't write that for musicians. I just wrote that for people. But a lot of yeah. artists will definitely relate to it. And then the other book I wrote is uh, called From Red to Black, My Short Journey from Debt to Liberty. And that's really just talking about financial freedom and how I went from zero to six figures to seven figures and just how to really build wealth, you know, and the habits of the rich. Yeah and um, the bad habits of the poor and uh, talk about all kinds of stuff in there. Talk about gold and silver, which is very interesting. That's actually real money and not fiat currency. And I've had a lot of uh, good mentors. You know, even though I didn't have a dad growing up, I had a lot of mentors, a lot that I paid for, paid access for, <laughs> but um, this really gave me advice on um, building wealth for me and my family, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a big believer in investing in mentors or at least like, pools of knowledge whether it's a course or a book or something so you know I, a lot of people don't like doing that because like they it's hard to measure the return on investment when you invest in yourself but like in by look at my life the things that have moved the needle the most are when i like paid money for my own education mm, for sure man like that that self doesn't jim Rohn say uh you know um your formal education will make you a living self-education will make you a fortune you know, yeah. and it's just like, like, like I've been back, like I only went to community college. I, I don't know if you went to a college or university, but I only went to a community one. It was like a six month computer program and then got a job really quick. But um, I spent yeah. 10 times more than what I spent on that. That was like an $8,000 program where, you know, geez. Yeah, I mean, I, I, spent... I, I did get a master's degree in mechanical engineering. And oh, awesome. I mean, like I, I did it first. I went to community college, which mm. I did that because it was essentially free after financial aid. And then I went to a local oh, university, which was like dirt cheap. Financial aid covered like half of it. And I was fortunate nice. enough for my, my, my parents covered two thirds of it. And I was working at Starbucks full time 
as well. And so nice. I only had to pay like a third, probably even less than that, because honestly, they paid for more than two thirds. So I was cool, like, man. I left school with no debt, and then I had this this degree in a high paying field. And I think you were an IT network specialist, right? I think is what I found. Yeah, yeah, I was a network engineer for a while, an MCSE, a Microsoft certified engineer. Yeah, I mean, so th- that that must have been a pretty a pretty lucrative field. Usually, any kind of IT yeah. network stuff like pays pretty well. Yeah, for for however many years ago that was, it was like, geez, you know, we're talking. Well, it was like 2004, 2005, so 18 years ago. I was making like 63 to 70 grand a year. Yeah, it's um, really, so really was, good for back then. That's like phenomenal. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'd probably be about 150 now, you know, I would think. 100, you know, I think at least. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I was, I, was, I was doing good, man. No complaints. And I didn't even hate my job. Like, I didn't like, I just wanted to pursue the dream, you know, my, my music. But like, I didn't like hate it. I should have stayed and... <laughs> took that money and kept investing into my career instead of yeah. killing the income stream, you know, like it was the dumbest thing I could have done. Thank God, you know, I learned how to book shows and make money a different way. But like, man, if I could go back and do it differently, I wouldn't have quit so fast and used that money to propel my career, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, that was, that was kind of my plan when I, I, I almost went to college at Berkeley. Like I got accepted. I was, I was in, like going to enroll for classes and then the bill came along. And this is when I was <laughs> 18, so like 13 years ago. And it was $60,000 a year. Oh my and gosh. And so I, I decided to not do it and instead take six months off and then go to community college and figure out what I want to do. And that's when I picked engineering. But my kind of goal was like, when I made that decision was like, I'm gonna find something else that I'm passionate about that I enjoy. Mm. that pays well and i'm going to go to school for that i'm going to get an awesome paying job in that and then i'm going to use all the money i make from that to fund all my crazy music stuff like because yeah you know i got a i got a three thousand dollar guitar right here like that doesn't pay for itself and like and you know an imac and then a camera and then like you know even outside of that then you have the marketing and there's ways mm. to do everything for free but it's a lot slower it's a lot harder you're usually going to sign to a label and so that was kind of my long-term, like, 10-year plan was, like, yeah, go get a great-paying job, use that money to, like, as a side hustle, start growing my other stuff, and try to pursue it that way. And it's kind of, it seems like that's pretty much what you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure, man, for sure. And that's that's awesome that you had something, like, so tangible and useful and that people wanted, wanted you for and pay you for, right? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Well... We've been going for how long have we been going for? Going for about fifty-five yeah. minutes. So, yeah, yeah. is there anything that uh, people should should check you out at? I know you got you got your Smart Music Business YouTube channel that'll be linked in the comments mm-hmm. as well as your website. Anything else people should check out? Yeah, no, check check out the YouTube channel. Um, definitely come to the challenge, the Spotify challenge. If you're an audiobook listener, we got a bunch of audiobooks on Audible. If you're if you like to consume stuff that way, just on different uh, music and marketing. But uh, no, that's about it, man. The YouTube channel's got tons of free content and stuff like that. And uh, it's been awesome being on this uh, interview with you, man, getting to know you better. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. And that's a wrap.